Nat started it out, Matthew did the announcements, and Mary wrapped it up. Thank you all for being here. That was It's a blessing to have my three of our five children here in the building today. Of course, Brandon is in Orlando, and uh, I'll have to get on to Jordan for not being here this morning. <laughs> so, um, I have gift cards for you. The church does, all of you men, so make sure you see me after church. That's for every man, 18 years of age and older. Uh, we will give you one of these gift cards to McDonald's. <laughs> so uh, I know where that will end up. If you have children, it will end up in their pockets, or if you're married, it will end up in your wife's purse. <laughs> Did you have anything this morning? Okay. Uh, get your Bibles out, if you would, or your smart devices, or whatever you're going to use this morning. To look into the scripture. I had a wonderful message prepared. I worked yesterday, actually all week. I took notes in my notebook all week and I was excited uh, to speak to you about what you have access to. And at 4.30 this morning when I woke up, I had a memory on my phone and the Holy Spirit said, that's what I want you to share on. So we're still on sonship. It was still in that vein, but I tried to avoid... Um, something that he probably was telling me earlier in the week because I felt like I've shared on it quite a bit, um, but he gave me a fresh look at it. I hope that you receive a fresh look at it uh, this morning as we release uh, this message. Uh, this is week two of Sonship. Last week, uh, we spoke from Galatians, the fourth chapter, verses six and seven, and we talked about the, ma the mentality of sonship. So a lot of us don't even have a mentality as believers of our sonship. Uh, we've been stuck as uh, you got saved, you got a ticket to heaven, but now you've been a slave for most of your Christian life trying to work to maintain your salvation and earn your way into heaven, and that's not the mentality of a son. I think you will see more of that this morning uh, in the story that we want to share, but I want to release you today into sonship. Anybody want to receive that as it's released to you to walk in that sonship, to live in that sonship? And we established that mentality last week. If you didn't get to hear it, go back and review it. Um, but I want to use an analogy this morning before I dig into the scripture. You are not, Papa does not treat you like some dog chained up in the backyard. There are a lot of people who own dogs that for fear of that dog running off, they chain the dog up. So not necessarily fear that the dog would bite someone else, although there, that could be the case, but a lot of times they chain the dog up. Let's even say that they would put a fence up that would pin the dog in to keep the dog from leaving. And they say, my dog really loves me. Well, if your dog really loves you, set him free. Well, he might run off. Well, if he runs off, if he gets hungry enough, I guarantee you he'll know where to come back. Can you hear that? To get fed. And I think a lot of times, hear me now, that pastors have pinned people in like a bunch of dogs. They've chained them up for fear of losing them. I'm here to release you as sons today. Nobody wants it. Let's go ahead and close up and go on home. 
If you want to be released as a son, it's not of the mentality that you are chained up before fear of someone losing you. Uh, we sang it in the song, and John the 8th chapter, verse 36 says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And you have been set free from the Son. I've said it like this for many years at Grace Life. We release you in the wide open sea of freedom in a boat called Grace. But there is a Holy Ghost who is the rudder. Okay. So let's jump over to Galatians, the fourth chapter. And in Galatians, the fourth chapter, um, we will find verse 7. We talked about the first part of that last week. We're going to look at part B, but I want to read the whole verse to you from Galatians, the fourth chapter, verse 7 in the mirror translation. Should be on the screen for you. Can you see how foolish it would be for a son to continue to live his life with a slave mentality. Part two, this is what we're going to share with you this morning. Your sonship qualifies you, and everybody shout out that next word that's on the screen. Immediately. When did it qualify you? Immediately, right now. You are qualified to participate in all the wealth of God's inheritance which is yours because of Christ. Underline that word inheritance. I believe you will see the word inheritance in a new light today. But you are qualified as a son in the present to participate in your inheritance. Um, while I do believe there are future implications that await you beyond the grave that are part of this inheritance, you receive an inheritance when someone else dies. Um, legalism, in its very disguise, contradicts sonship. I would say, I would use the word legalism as the dog being pinned up. It contradicts the freedom that you have as a son. I said it last week, and I want to reiterate, this, reiterate it this week and get it into your spirit. Sonship is not for sale. What do you mean? You can't buy it, and you can't earn it. It's a gift that is received. So I'm releasing you into that gift, into that sonship, where there is freedom. We have a story that gives us the example of what I'm talking about that we're going to look at here in just a second. But let me establish with you what the word heir means. A lot of times in like Great Britain, England, where they have kings, queens, Queen Elizabeth seems like she's been on the throne for 100 years. Uh, her son will probably die. It's going to be her grandson that will be the heir apparent probably. Um, but an heir, listen, this is you are heirs with Christ. If I read Galatians 4, 6, it says, if you are sons, then heirs, heirs and joint heirs to participate in this inheritance. What is an heir? It is a person legally who inherits and is entitled to the property, the rank, and the wealth upon the, another person's death. Heirs have a right to see the will and know everything about the assets and dispersals. 
I'll show you the will later on, okay? <laughs> but you and I have a copy of the Father's will. And we have the right to see everything, all the assets, all the benefits, and all the dispersals of that will. You ought to read a copy of it sometime. We have been given a copy of that will wherein are contained a list of the assets. And according to the scripture that we just read in Galatians 4, 7, as sons we have access to participate. You know, even if you didn't know anything about a will, if someone had put you in their will and they passed away, and it went to probate court, they would contact you that whether you even knew you were an heir or not, you're going to uh, receive the benefits of that will. But why wouldn't you want to know that if you can immediately participate in it, because see, there's already been a death that has occurred. Jesus went to Calvary's cross and he died, but he not only died, he got up to be the executor of the Father's will, and he makes sure that we get all of the benefits because we are joint heirs. Where I wanted to go this morning, I wanted to talk about Jesus being the firstborn. And see, there's a birthright that is connected to the firstborn. And when Elisha asked for a double portion, he wasn't asking for just a double portion. He was asking for a firstborn inheritance. Because that word firstborn means double portion. The elder firstborn, the one who opened the womb, was the one that received the double blessing, the portion that was greater. I believe that how you see yourself in relationship to the Father will affect your ability to receive from Him. If you, have, if you see a tyrant, if you see someone who is only out to punish you when you do wrong, and that maybe if you do good enough in the long run, in the sweet by and by on the sunny banks, you might get a reward in heaven. But Paul tells the Galatians that it would be foolish that once you've become a son to act in a slave mentality and wait to receive something that you can participate in right now. You're qualified. But see, a lot of people that are qualified aren't participating. I can apply for a loan and become qualified to receive that loan, but if I don't gain, get the access, if I don't change my mind about who I am, that I have the right, the privilege, and the authority to go and take what I've been qualified for. Does that make any sense? Ephesians 2.18 tells us that through Christ we have access by the Spirit to the Father. Jesus didn't say you get to heaven through Him. Now listen to me, because you'll go out of here and say, and the pastor Jamie said there's other ways to heaven but except for Jesus. No, I'm just I'm clarifying what the scripture actually says is that you gain access to the Father through Jesus. He says, no man, John 14, no man comes to the Father but by me. You gain access to the Father through the Son. There's been many times down through my life that people have had, tried to gain access to my Father through me. They would have greater chances of having access to him through me than they would through you. Don't mean that wrong. That's just because of the father-son relationship that we have. There's privileges in that. As sons, we must begin to understand that God the Father is always approachable. 
we have access to Him through the Spirit. God never has a bad day. Aren't you thankful? God never is in a sour mood. Aren't you thankful? He's never too busy or too distracted to talk to you. You have complete access to the Father, to the Father's ear and to the Father's heart and to His focused attention on you. That's good news. We have complete access through Jesus to the Father's love. And it will never have to be earned. You don't have to earn your Father's love. We have access to the, to, as sons to the Father's endless supply of patience and kindness. He's a good, good Father. As sons, we have access to the very best that, has, that God has for you. The song that Frank penned, I wish we'd had the words on the screen so you could have heard what he was saying. I got to read the lyrics earlier on. But as sons, his heart has always been good to us. He's always one of the best for us. We have access as sons to his presence, to his provision, to his protection, to his peace, to his power, and so much more. I mean, there's, a, there's tons of things that you can find written in the Father's will that you have as an inheritance right now. First Peter 1.4, Peter relays to us the message that we have been born again into an inheritance. There's that word again. Listen to this. Lisa loves this scripture because it talks about an incorruptible seed. You have received an inheritance that is an incorruptible seed. That means that once you have received it, it cannot be corrupted. It's not only incorruptible, it's undefiled. It's not only incorruptible and undefiled, it's imperishable. It says in the King James, it fades not away. So to me, here's what I take away from that. Once I'm a son, I'm always a son. And I'm confident and I'm secure in that. So now let's get to where I wanted to go, where the Holy Spirit took me. Go to Luke, Luke the 15th chapter. Let's look at starting in verse 11. I've preached this several times. Of course, I've preached about the prodigal son. But most recently, in recent years, I've preached about the prodigal father that the father was really the one that was prodigal because the word prodigal means lavish, extravagant. But I've never really looked at the way that I'm going to approach this this morning with two things. And the, the culmination of all of this and even the title of my message will be found in verse 31. If you jump ahead, you're in trouble. No, just joking. <laughs> Verse 11, I want to read it to you from the mirror translation, and I hope that it will relay something to you that captured my spirit. Verse 11, then he continued, Jesus teaching, a certain man had two sons. How many sons did he have? How come we mostly concentrate on the one? He had two. And they both get a bad rap from church, were from religious folk. Verse 12, the youngest approached his father and said, Father, give me my share of your inheritance. I want you to pay attention to what verse 12 says, this next statement. 
So the Father gave them his inheritance. Did you see it? Now the mirror translation takes that word inheritance and it gives it to us in the Greek. It's bios. It says that when the younger son came and he asked for his portion of the inheritance, the father gave both of his sons his life. That's what the word inheritance means. In the Greek here, it's bios. It means life. And here's how the the mirror translation relays that to us. It says, so the father gave them his life. Can anybody have any spiritual ears or spiritual mind to discern? I see some wheels turning. Jesus said that he came to give us life. He came to give us an inheritance. And not only did he come to give us an inheritance, he came to give us it abundantly. (laughs) Wow. Verse 13. Within a few days, the young man had gathered all of his belongings and left to a foreign country far away from home. This is what grabbed me this morning. There was nothing holding him back now. You are a son. You have received from the father his life, Zoe, the life of God, It's not only quality of life and it's quantity of life. It's not just enjoying life when you get to heaven. It is enjoying life now. That's the Zoe life. And in receiving it, there is nothing holding you back. To to me, this speaks of the freedom that I talked about at the beginning. God doesn't take you and give you his life for you to enjoy and then chain you up like a dog in the backyard because he's fearful that he'll lose you. This picture is just radiating in my spirit this morning. It is just uh, too long we've been sons chained up that have been held back. Legalism has held us back. And when we have legalism ingrained in us, it contradicts sonship. And I want to release you into your sonship that there is nothing holding you back. You say, well, pastor, that man went out and lived righteously and he wasted everything that he had, but he's still a son. And the father gave him the resources to go live the way that he wanted to live. I'm not advocating that you go out here and live whatever way you want to live because I do believe that in freedom you still have a Holy Ghost that will speak to you, that will tug on your heart, that will guide you, and he will lead you. And if you want to uh, follow a moral code, then your compass will be, should be, as sons, the Holy Ghost and not rules written on rocks. Okay? So there should be nothing as sons holding you back. You have access, continual access to the Father, to His kindness, to His love, to His resources. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to toil and work for it. If you do, then you need to hear what Paul was saying to the Galatians when he said, how foolish would it be that now you are a son to live in a slave mentality. You have access, you are qualified. To receive the life of God, the inheritance. When? When you die? Right now. 
So there was nothing holding him back now, and soon he squandered his inheritance. If we're going to use the terminology from the Greek, he squandered his life. I'm going to tell you, there are things that you are completely free to do, and the reason that God hates them is because of what they do to you. It put this boy, this son, in a position that he didn't look like a son. He, there are consequences to your actions if you don't follow Holy Spirit guidance in your life. Living it up without any restraint. Now some of you want to tell me that you have this type of freedom. And I would say yes you do. But when you're going to live it without restraint, see if I use the word restraint, then you say well then I'm not really free. I'd say you're really free if you allow the Holy Spirit to restrain you but not to chain you up like a dog. He will give you bumper pads on the bowling lane to make sure that you stay <laughs> on track. That's good preaching right there. I don't care who you are. Now, verse 14 talks a little bit about the consequences. By now, he exhausted his resources because sin will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay, and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. And to make matters worse, a severe famine had gripped the land and he began to be in dire need. Have you ever heard this story? I'm not talking about Luke 15, the prodigal son. Have you ever heard this story? Have you ever encountered anyone in life or have you yourself been in the position where you had squandered everything that you had? You were living without restraint. You became exhausted. See, because that's what living your own way will do. It will exhaust you. Trying to earn someone's affection, some, trying to earn someone's love, it will always exhaust you and leave you without any resources. So he journeyed further into the country. Watch out. And he attached himself. Uh, beware of who you attach yourself to. Even as sons in the kingdom, if you attach yourself to the wrong people, it, there will be consequences. Am I talking to anybody? There will be things that uh, happen in your life that are not the plan of God. I'm not saying that he doesn't bless you, that his hand is on you, or that he's punishing you. It just, when you get hooked up and attached to the wrong people and the wrong things, I see people shaking their heads because you've experienced it. <laughs> Who sent him into the fields. Man, this pricked my heart this morning. To shepherd pigs. You're not called to the pigs. That's, that's not where you're... You're not even called to shepherd them. You're not even called to guide them or to guard them or to f try to feed them. That's not, sons aren't called to the pigs. Just let that sink in and speak to you wherever you want it to. Verse 16, he was so desperately hungry that he was even craving to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were feeding on but no one would allow him to. See, don't let that scripture say to you that he ate what the pigs were eating. He did not. He desired to, but the scripture says that he didn't because no one would give them to him. When I looked at that verse, I circled the word hungry. As a son, I believe that there are always resources from the Father that he said if you will hunger and thirst after righteousness that he would do what? Feel you. 
So as sons, we're filled. Verse 17, at this point, he came to his senses. Just, well, I'm not even going to say. <laughs> look around. Not just in the building, but look around when you're out. Is there anybody that you've observed that needs to come to their senses? <laughs> hmm. Thinking out loud, <laughs> that's where I get in trouble. <laughs> Thinking out loud. <laughs> He said, my father has many servants working for him and everyone has more than enough to eat. And here I am out here dying of hunger. Um, sons should never and will never die of hunger unless they have a slave mentality. Would it not be awful for someone, and I believe that there's probably stories that you could Google and find, that there have been people who have lived homeless and died without anything that had access and were qualified to millions. But when you don't have the right mentality, understanding that you have access to certain things, but if you don't participate in what you've been qualified to have, then you will live miserably in life. Never living up to the potential and the purpose of a son. Verse 18, he was up and ready to go and began to rehearse what he would do. He said, I'll travel home to face my father and I'll tell him that I've sinned against heaven and before him. I will convince him, verse 19, that I am no longer worthy to be called his son and beg him to employ me as one of his hired servants. Can I say something right there? Stop trying to convince the father of who you are. He knows who you are. <laughs> and he's called you who he believes that you are. See, the servant mentality that had gotten into this son caused him to think that he would have to come home and face the father face to face and that he would have to beg his father just to accept him as a servant, not even as his son. So he's trying to convince him of something that he's not. That is so familiar in the church. Let me add to that by saying, begging is unbecoming of a son. Sons don't beg. We ask. And we can ask in Jesus' name of the Father. And he said if we ask in Jesus' name because he's a son and he recognizes us as being, and he's well pleased in us because he sees us as he sees Jesus. And then when we ask in Jesus' name, he'll give to us what we've asked for. Hmm. So stop trying to convince the Father of who you are. Let him convince you of who you are. And he says, you're a son. Verse 20. And with that, he got up and began to return the return journey to his father. He was yet a long way from home when his father saw him. Now, right here, remember I said that I believe that the way that you view the father and the relationship that you believe you have with the father will dictate to you what you're able to receive from the Father. Now this boy is going towards the Father and he has a mentality of the Father that if he can just be a servant in the Father's house, and I'll just have to say it the way the Scripture really meant it, to be a slave in the Father's house, then he would be 
content with being a slave just so he could have a roof over his head, shoes on his feet. Well, really not even shoes on his feet because the slaves didn't wear shoes. But he would have a roof over his head and he would have food. And he wouldn't go without. And he was going to be content with that. I believe that people find more contentment in living as slaves than they do living as sons. Now, I understand that Paul said that he found that in every state that he was in that he would be content in that. But that contentment didn't keep him from being a son. I mean, we've got Pauline letters that tell us all about our sonship. He was confident in who he was. But he was content as a son in whatever situation that he would be in because he knew he wouldn't be there very long because his grace is sufficient. So the father, this relationship that the son has with the father is skewed because of the way that he has squandered his, his life and because of who he's attached himself to. And he doesn't realize it, but the father's view towards him has not changed. Can I tell you that the father's view of you has not changed? It doesn't matter what you said, what you did, who you were with last night, what you did last week, what you're planning on doing this week. The father's view of you has not changed. And look what it says in verse 20. He is filled with compassion. First of all, he sees you. It says the father saw him. The father sees you. And he's filled with compassion, and he is always pursuing you. Look at that. He ran. Why wouldn't the world would we get up and put lyrics on the screen and say that his goodness is running after me if the Father's not going to chase you down even when you're in the mischief? The Father's not up there with his arms folded just waiting for you so he can crack you upside of the head when you admit that you've squandered your life and that you're exhausted. I love what the scripture says here. He ran to his son, flung open his arms, embraced his son, and began to kiss him fondly. That word kiss in the Greek there shows an action that begins and does not stop. He just is continually showing fond affection for his son, embracing him, kissing him. Verse 21, when the son caught his breath, the father will take your breath away with his extravagant love and compassion for you. It will take your breath away. He was so enamored about what the father was, how the father was receiving him that it took his breath. So then he began his rehearsed sinner's prayer. I love what the mirror Bible says there. We rehearse Memorized prayers. Watch it. Father, I have sinned before heaven and in your face. I'm not worthy to be as a son. Verse 22. I love it. The father was not paying attention to this. Did you read that? I have to grab this in the Passion Translation. I have to read this to you from the Passion Translation real quick, from Luke 15. Do you have time? Yeah, this is going to be good. Thank God for technology that we can find them scriptures quickly. Passion, passion, passion. Should have written it down. 
Verse 21. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And then there's a line in the Passion Translation. The father didn't even allow the son to finish what he wanted to call himself. And he interrupts, and like verse 22 says, the father wasn't paying any attention to this. The Passion Translation says, the father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. (laughs) He didn't give him a chance to rehearse his plea. I said this one time, I believe that the Father is more concerned about your restoration than he is your repentance. I know that doesn't fit into some people's theology, and I'm not saying that um, you shouldn't say I'm sorry, but what I am saying is the Father is more concerned about you returning and walking in your sonship than he is trying to get you to rehearse a prayer to earn something from him that he just wants to lavish on you. He merely turned and instructed his servants to immediately, when do you have access? When are you qualified? Immediately. Bring out the best robe and clothe them in it. Give him the ring to put it on his finger and the shoes for his feet. I I know that... You've probably seen this, but this is the robe of righteousness and forgiveness. It covers you from your sin and your shame. He exchanged our robes of unrighteousness with his, and sin with his righteousness, and he's covered and cleansed our sin and our shame. The ring. In the Passion Translation, this ring is this. It literally says he gave him the ring to seal his sonship. This is the emblem of authority given to sons whereby they have the authority to transact business in the Father's name. You are sons. You have the authority to use the Father's name to transact in business. What is the business? We are sons manifesting in the earth. What did I say last week? The ultimate plan of God is to invade the kingdom of this earth with the kingdom of heaven. How does He want to do that? He wants to do that through His sons. And then the shoes, he said the best shoes, this shows renewed hope. Would you just give me five more minutes? In full anticipation for his son's return, he now also had the grain-fatted calf brought and slaughtered. It was party time. So with our minds flooded with joy in Mary's celebration, let's begin partying. This is the reason for our joy. My son here was dead and he was revived. He seemed to be lost forever, but here he is found. And so they began their merry celebration. I've told you about the Kazaza before. Just to briefly say to you that the father spared the son from being seen in a certain light by the community by running to him afar off. The father will always spare you of shame, and scrutiny from your critics if you will allow him to embrace you, to kiss you, to restore the ring and the robe and the and future hope with the best shoes. Then, verse 25, the older brother was returning from the field. I wrote this above that in my Bible. He was returning from his toiling and laboring. 
let that sink in. And approaching the house, he heard the sound of the concert instruments and the choir of voices singing and dancing. Alarmed, he called to one of the servants and asked him, what is this all about? Verse 27, the boy answered, your brother is here. So your father sacrificed the grain-fatted calf to celebrate your brother returning home in good health. Verse 28, the news, I circled that, the good news, the good news will always enrage enrage and anger the righteous older brother. The religious righteous brother, I should say. I was thinking of the righteous brothers singing Unchained Melody. (laughs) The religious brother will always be enraged by good news. Dr. Howe says it this way, the good news will make you mad before it makes you glad. Because it's too good to be true news sometimes. He had no desire to join them, and then his father went out and pleaded him to come in, and he answered his father, verse 29, Consider the many years that I've toiled for you like a slave, and at no time did I ever dodge any of your commandments. You ever heard anybody in the Scripture say, I've obeyed all the commandments? And he said, you still like one thing? Toiling and laboring doesn't make you a son. Working as a son, we are sons who serve. We're saved to serve. We're sons who serve in the kingdom. That's our responsibility. We have rights, but we have responsibilities. But what's happened is we've put the cart before the horse and we don't seem to get anywhere because all we do is toil and labor and expect to have certain things given to us. When you've already gotten those certain things, that out of gratitude we should serve as sons. And at no time did I ever dodge any of your commandments, yet you never considered rewarding me even with a little lamb so I could party with my friends. However, when this son of yours comes home, having devoured your savings by wasting it on prostitutes, you slay the grain-fatted calf. Guys, if you would come. I have a question for you before I get to verse 31. Remember, I like to ask questions to kind of pique your thinking. What are you doing with your inheritance? Let me say it the way that the Greek translated it in Luke 15, 11, and 12. What are you doing with the life God's given you? How are you living your life? This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message to, I'm a son. You're a son. You're qualified to immediately participate in the life, the inheritance that God has given you. My question is, what are you doing with it? See, because both of these boys needed a revelation of grace. Not just the one who went out and squandered it, but the one that sat in church every Sunday, gave his 10%, worked on the church building, and uh, was an usher, and did all of the things that he was supposed to do, and toiled and labored, as well as the one that went out. See, we want to point fingers at and we want to disqualify the son that went out and lived riotously. But verse 31, look at what he tells the older brother and then I want to use a play on words with it to speak to you as sons this morning and release you into your sonship. He said to him, my son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. 
I believe the Father is speaking to you as his sons today. And I believe his words to you on this Father's Day are, My son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Passion Translation says it this way, Everything that I have is yours to enjoy. I'm planning on enjoying the sights and sounds of heaven when I die, but I'm going to enjoy life right now with everything that the Father has given to us. Uh, I, I'm, I tell you, I'm enjoying life. Why? Because all that He has is mine. If you can convince yourself of that this morning, that all that He has is yours, and you don't have to work to earn it, you don't have to toil and labor to keep it, that you can just enjoy it, and out of your gratitude, you want others to receive that and become aware of that, so you serve in the kingdom as a son to make sure that everyone else understands that they're sons as well. So sons, daughters of God, arise to your feet this morning and begin to thank the Father for all that He has given you. Just out of your own heart of gratitude and worship, just begin to thank Him for everything that He's given you. Now take 30 seconds, and in your own heart and mind, allowing, them, allowing and inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you as a son, ask yourself, what have I been doing with the inheritance God has given me? I would start by asking myself, did I even realize that I had the privilege and that I was qualified to access all that he has right now in this life to enjoy it? If you didn't and you don't, I, I would repent. Change your mind about the way you think about the Father and yourself and begin to, en to enjoy it. Brother Kenneth Copeland says that as sons you have access to security, to authority, to intimacy, to assurance, and to identity in Christ. Just a few things that you have access to. Hey, if you've been enjoying life, you can take another 30 seconds and thanking him. Begin to thank him for all that he's given you to enjoy life. If you had a car to drive in this morning, if you had a roof over your head, clothes on your back, shoes on your feet, I thank God for air conditioning. I thank God that we will be able to go and eat a meal this afternoon and have more than we need and want. Those are material things, but as sons, we have access to healing. It's the children's bread. We have access to freedom. Just crawl up in Papa's lap right now. Abba, we sang it, I belong to you. That word Abba is a term of, term of endearment. I need to share this. The reason that the Pharisees said that Jesus blasphemed was because he called God Father. Now, there are some 
concepts of God as Father in the Old Testament. There are a few places that you can find concepts as God of God as Father, but the Jews never accepted God as Father because they believed that if they accepted God as Father, that would bring God down to their level. And that, that just wasn't accepted. He couldn't be on their level. So when Jesus shows up and he begins to call God his Father and teaches his disciples to pray to their Father in heaven, they thought it was blaspheming because they felt like that that was demoting or demeaning God and bringing him down to a human level. And I thank God that when I couldn't get up to his level, he came down to my level. And I have a father that relates to me because Jesus experienced everything that you and I would experience yet without sin. And so now we have an imperishable, incorruptible, never fading away seed that's been planted in us that causes us to be sons and we've been born again into the kingdom of God. Amen. Every, every heart clear. We good. Amen. Several needs in our church family just continue. To-